nine. If we can look at um, 22, I'd appreciate that. Perhaps you've heard of the name Roy Moore. If you haven't, he was on the Alabama Supreme Court, Chief Justice Roy Moore. That may sound a little bit more familiar to you because uh, he, made, he made the news. Actually, he's made the news a number of times. He made the news when he ran for office last year and, uh, and was defeated in what many would uh, probably call dirty politics. But uh, anyway, it happened. Uh, and then um, uh, the Chief Justice has uh, really rankled a number of people throughout his political career, more liberals than anyone. Uh, and uh, he, was, he was one who refused to take down a Ten Commandments monument displayed prominently in his courthouse. Um, I like the way someone put it. They said this, he provoked the ACLU to the point of hyperventilation. I like the way they worded that. Uh, now, he ended up losing the battle, but he stood upon principle. It's a good question to ask. Was he right or was he wrong? Um, you know, there are a lot of evangelicals who were very angry with the fact that Moore made it an issue, um, that he stood on that principle. Uh, there are others who, uh, who would come to his defense. Was he right or what is he wrong? Do you realize that the battle between God and government isn't new in history? As if... Uh, it's a, an American problem. The, the truth is, this has been an issue. God and government and keeping a balance between uh, what we're supposed to do in regard to both uh, has been an issue for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, I draw your attention this evening to a passage where the subject of civil disobedience is brought up by the Pharisees. And the reason they brought it up, according to Matthew 22:15, is because they were trying to entangle Jesus Christ in his talk. They were trying to get him to say something that would uh, hinder his ministry, would either turn the Jews against him or turn the Roman government against him. You see, answering the question that they were going to ask Jesus Christ ultimately was going to put him at odds with someone unless he answered that message masterfully, and he did. But in Matthew 22, the Pharisees come trying to entangle, uh, entangle him in his talk. They sent unto him their disciples with the Herodians, and here's what they ask in verse 16. Notice the words right in the middle of the verse. Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth, neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Which, by the way, was true they were saying it mockingly and, uh, and did not at all respect him for his position. Otherwise, they wouldn't try to entangle him in his thought. So, they asked this question. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? By the way, um, a lot of people ask, what do you think? But what I think doesn't matter most often when people are asking me what I think you think about this, Pastor? What do you think about dress? What do you think about this music? What do you think about... Uh, truth is, um, people want, uh, want folks to just have 
their own opinions, their own ideas, and they want to be thought of, their own ideas is valid as well. But if their ideas and their truths weren't valid. So it wasn't what Jesus thought, it's what God expected. What does God expect? Jesus is going to give us that answer, by the way. And he doesn't say, this is my opinion. He doesn't say, these are my thoughts. He didn't say, uh, you know, this is what I think would be best, but you can do whatever you want. No, Jesus Christ cuts, cuts through all the muck. In fact, he does it in a very powerful way. Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? So Jesus doesn't mess around. Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar, they ask? And Jesus, perceiving their wickedness, then comes out with a very strong statement. He calls them hypocrites and then says, Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And so he's holding this coin. Or he's pointing to it, one or the other. Someone's holding it out. He says, whose picture is on that? And uh, they said unto him, Caesar's. Then he saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Uh, wisdom in a nutshell. You know? Um, Jesus Christ took hypocritical phonies who were trying to trip him up and he taught truth. He did not say something that would, would divide and cause people to leave or run from his ministry. He dealt with it in a proper way and he teaches us what we need to know. Um, Jesus Christ shares with us uh, just a very simple truth. I I don't have a pretty outline. This is not one of those pretty outline nights, okay? Um, I've just got about four or five points that I want to share with you from that verse. It's actually been on my mind and uh, had been thinking about it and really just decided uh, uh, very recently that I would speak about it tonight since... Well, tomorrow's the 4th, and we're still looking at government and uh, our responsibility to it. So let me just share with you four or five truths that, you can, uh, that, that we need to kind of think about tonight and ponder. First is this. Men have grappled with God versus government responsibilities throughout world history. Seriously. Men have grappled with God versus government responsibilities throughout world history. Uh, what we battle with as Christians in making decisions about what are we supposed to do and what aren't we supposed to do? Uh, is it, do, we, do we fight City Hall and keep the Ten Commandments up in, you know, in, in a, a public place? Do we just keep quiet and never say anything at all? When we grapple with those things, know this, that this is an issue that men have grappled with uh, throughout world history. And it's not just here in the day of Jesus Christ, but it was in the day of Jesus Christ. And it was right after the day of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts. You can read about men who were grappling with government and what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to handle government. In fact, 
Peter and Paul both wrote numerous things in the New Testament encouraging people and instructing people on what they're supposed to do in regard to government. Because people don't know. People battle with that. They still do, thousands of years later, but at the time of Christ. But I've been thinking about this today. The truth of the matter is, uh, throughout history, it's happened. You go all the way back. Um, let, me, let me give you a couple examples. I'll read the, the verses. You don't have to turn to them. 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, Ahab called Obadiah, uh, who, which was the governor of his house, Ahab's house, and the Bible says that Obadiah was going to be sent out to find water because it hasn't been raining. Why? Okay, why hasn't it been raining? Because Elijah prayed. Uh, because Ahab had been in wicked sin and God was judging his people and judging Ahab. Well, Ahab calls Obadiah in 1 Kings 18, which was governor of his house. And here's what it says right after that. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. He appeared to be loyal to government, all the while working against the wicked order of the queen whom he was in charge of the house. Isn't that an amazing thing? What was he supposed to do? What about Mordecai? Mordecai was faced with a decision which led to a whole chain of events because he refused to bow to Haman. And you know what Haman did? In Esther chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. In other words, let's get rid of them. And the reason why is because the Jews battled with this all the time. It's no wonder they asked Jesus Christ this question in Matthew 21, because the Jews were fighting about what was right and wrong in regard to government. Most of the Jews would have said, we don't have any allegiance to, to uh, the, the king of Rome. We're not going to follow what he has to say. Most despise the Roman government. And so if Jesus said, support the Roman government... He's down in the eyes of the Jews. If he said, uh, forget the Roman government, you better believe the Roman government would have heard that report from the ears of the Pharisees. Why? Because this is a problem that was around. It was around in Mordecai's day. It was around in Jeremiah 29. You know when, when the Israelites had been taken into to Babylon. Do you know what Jesus told the Israelites in Jeremiah 29? Pray for the peace of the city that you're in. Marry, uh, make houses, plant vineyards, do all those things. In, in essence, you're going to be there a while, people. But there was a. Uh, but what he said was, "Hey, pray for the peace, because in this city having peace, Babylon, you'll have peace. If it doesn't, you." Will. And so, encouraged them, and he had to instruct them because. An Israelite would have been praying for the destruction of Babylon. By the way, you probably would have been too. If someone came into America and made you a slave and took you to, and took you to Russia, 
You think you'd be praying for Russia to be at peace? I doubt it. So this has been an issue. The book of Daniel gives us a couple examples, right? The three Hebrew children. Uh, and uh, it says in Daniel, uh, in, in Daniel chapter 3 that they refused. They said, hey, look, king, we're not going to bow. It doesn't matter what you do. Uh, and if, God, if, if our lives are taken in the fiery furnace, whatever you do, uh, then our lives are taken, but we won't bow. Uh, Daniel had that a little bit later in Daniel chapter 6. Am I right? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to handle the situation? Daniel knew the writing was, was signed, that he wasn't supposed to pray. So what does he do? Um, as he just said a few moments ago, the book of Acts is full of examples. This battle's been going on. Second statement is this. It is and always has been a controversial subject. It was controversial. That's why it was brought up here. You want to trip them up. You got to bring up controversial things. Something that where no matter how he answers it. Have you ever had a question asked you no matter how you answered it, you lost? Like when if your, your wife asks you, do I look fat in this? You can't win. You can't win no matter how you answer the question. So you just have to hope, you know. It's, it, it was, it's a controversial question. And so it was here that Jesus had to answer. The, again, the only reason they brought it up was to trip up the Savior. If they could get the Roman government or the Jews, one or the other, they didn't care who it was. They just wanted to make, him, make a mockery of him, and they wanted to ruin his effectiveness of ministry, and they wanted to ruin his opportunity to help people. Third thing I wrote down. Like I said, this is a real impressive outline, isn't it? Sometimes good men differ on how to maintain biblical balance in this area. What do you do? What do you do? Do we march on City Hall? Do we do like uh, uh, one group did? Oh, I want to say it was probably about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. In Nashville, there was an issue that came up where uh, the council, the Nashville uh, city area, was going to uh, pass legislation that had uh, impact on hiring practices. Now you say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, it was. And the reason it was a big deal was because they were going to give rights to homosexuals and not give anyone the right to fire someone based on sexual orientation. That was one of the things that was worded in this legislation. Now, again, you say, well, that's just society. And that's true. Society is going there, but the problem was, and this is what uh, some of the, the preachers, fundamental preachers in our area found out, the problem was, was that if a church found out that they hired an organist and the organist was a homosexual, the church couldn't fire him. And by the way, churches do hire people to come and play. Not, not churches like ours, but they, they do. If you hired a pastor and found out that he was, he, was, uh, he was not what he claimed to be, couldn't get rid of him by law. So um, it was Pastor Denny Patterson who went to the legislators and started to talk with them. And a number of us ended up going. 
um, and being at uh, the meeting when that was taking place, sat in and just just as an encouragement and just to say, hey, look, we're not in support of this legislation. And, and there were a number of legislators that were bent out of shape about the whole thing. What's your problem? Why are you so upset about this? And so he took the time to explain it. Well, you know, at the same time, um, and I have no idea how they found out about it, but the, the nuts over in, where is it, from Oklahoma. Uh, what? Yeah, the, the, the crazy nut, so well, he's called fundamentals, unfortunately, brought a, a bunch of people and they were standing outside with, with vulgar signs uh, against homosexuals and, and making a racket and, if you would, being an embarrassment, I think, to the cause of Jesus Christ. Over an issue that had nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. And their signs had nothing to do with what the legislation was about. They were just, they were just, you know, they were rebelling against authority in a way that isn't consistent. But sometimes it's hard to know what to do. How much involvement do you get? How much do you not get involved? What do you say? How, um, do you march on City Hall? Do you carry signs? Sometimes good men differ on how to maintain a biblical balance in this area. So the fourth truth, and this gets us kind of to the passage here. Verse 4, Jesus gives us an answer. He does. Now, he doesn't answer the whole question, but he does give us an answer. And here's what he said. Render, therefore, unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that be God's. So the fourth truth is, our duty is to determine what is Caesar's and what is God's, and render it. Simple enough, right? That is our God-given responsibility as Christians. Okay, what is God's? What is Caesar's? What does God want me to do? You know, that's how we're supposed to make decisions in regard to legislation, in regard to how much I'm going to be involved in, in uh, the, the election this next year, uh, in regard to should I vote, shouldn't, shouldn't I vote? What is God's? What is Caesar's? What is my responsibility to God? What is my responsibility to Caesar? And then I need to fulfill that. And so ultimately, Jesus really did, in one simple statement, give a, a whole slew of instruction, ultimately. And he said it's our duty as Christians to determine what's right. We can't sit back and say, ah, whatever will be, will be. No, we need to determine what is Caesar's, what is God's, and what do I need to do as a result? And what is God's, I need to do. What is Caesar's, I need to do. Both have been given me as a responsibility. So um, he doesn't leave us to our own ideas or philosophies. He says, you need to determine this. Now, that means, obviously, somewhere in the Bible, he's going to deal with things and help us to know how to make a decision in regard to any issue and any, any matter in regard to government. And he does, right? Can you tell me the probably the most well-known passage that deals with what is Caesar's and what is God's? Oh, I obviously lost you, or maybe not. Paul dealt with the subject after 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So what chapter is that? All right, so Romans, next chapter. Romans 13, 1 to 7, is the clearest instruction in all of Scripture in regard to our government and our responsibility. And God does give us some very important things to know. Uh, a, a preacher illustrated uh, this matter of specific duties. He said, during a visit to the United States a few years ago, a pastor from Nepal, about being thrown into a Nepalese, uh, I guess that's how you pronounce it, that's what, he, that's what it says there, prison, because he was spreading the gospel. This pastor gave a summary of Christian patriotism. At least that's what the preacher said. Of course, I must obey my Lord and spread his word, the, the preacher that had been thrown in prison said. But even though we were, are persecuted, we who are Christians in Nepal pride ourselves on being the best citizens our king has. We love our country, but we love our God. I think that's a great way to put it. The preacher who was telling about this pastor that here in the U.S. Christians are sometimes confused about where to draw the line between the demands of the state and the demands of God. Is civil disobedience ever justified? And if so, how do we know? As I write in my book, Scripture makes clear that civil disobedience is justified when government attempts to usurp the role of the church or our allegiance due only to God, then the Christian has not just the right, but the duty to resist. He grapples with this subject a little bit. Two duties, basically, are responsibilities. God makes it simple. Pray for them. First Timothy 2, 1-4, right? Been praying for your government leaders. This is a good reminder on July 3rd, isn't it? Second would be to obey. Turn to Romans 13. Romans 13. And I knew I wasn't. I would end up not getting through everything I'd like to. But Romans chapter thirteen. And if we're going to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's, and we're going to have a proper balance, and we've got to determine what our job is. All right, what is our job? Romans thirteen. Look at it, and uh, tell me. Our, our duty is to obey. Very simply, okay, but. There are a few different ways in verses 1 to 7, a number of truths given, that give us this picture of obedience. So what are some of the words that you see there? And some of the ways and the attitudes we're supposed to have. All right, first, and that the clearest probably, be subject. Or, that word means to be under obedience. It's not as if they're superior people to you, but you're to be under obedience. So... Here's what law they make. Here's, here's the, the law. Here's what they tell you you're supposed to pay in taxes. All right. Be under obedience. Here's what they say is the speed limit. All right. Be under obedience. Here's what they say you can do at a stoplight. Be under obedience. Here's what they say you can do in regard to the, be under obedience. As much as possible, whenever possible. Um, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Second thing we find, there's, there's another attitude, verse 2, or another thing mentioned in this obedience. Be subject. 
and I've put you to sleep. No, what, what would it be? Look at verse 2. Okay, yes, absolutely. I was going to say it's a don't. Don'ter, okay? Don't, do not resist. That means to oppose or arrange yourself against the authorities. Let me tell you um, that, that that preacher is way out of line when he says to the guy, irregardless of the fact that the stand he was taking is the correct stand against homosexuality. But God says not to set yourself in opposition to or arrange yourself against the authorities. The third thing he tells us is to do what? Verse 3, this is a positive. Second is negative. Be subject, do not resist, do good. Um, by the way, that normally results in a positive relationship with authority. Not always, unfortunately, but most of the time that's going to result in, notice what he says, do that which is good and what will normally happen. Not, not in every government, sad to say. By the way, um, was that true of the Roman government? It wasn't. It wasn't. And it wasn't true of government in Jerusalem. The Jewish religious leaders, who were the government in Jerusalem? We, they had the Roman government, but then they had the government of Jerusalem. <laughs> they had their own. And those men were doing wrong as well. But that's what God tells us. Now, he goes on. There's one other thing, and it's uh, actually in verse 7. We could maybe argue a few other things, but there's a fourth thing that we're supposed to do. Okay. Um, give what is due. Render, therefore, to all their dues. Give what is due them. What is due them? Um, tribute would be taxes. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, and we could probably argue, some would say it's the same thing. But um, he says, tribute to him, tribute. Custom to him, custom. You know what custom is? Some would say it's the same thing, but it would be levies. Um, yeah, I'm not so sure the, uh, the tea party was all that appropriate. Levies on goods. And thinks custom who custom. And then he goes on and he carries it uh, a little bit further. He says what? what? Because uh, we always talk about taxes, but there's other things here. What else? Okay. You should be afraid if you see the flashing lights. By the way, have you ever, have you ever been just driving down the road? You're not doing anything wrong. Mind your own business. You saw the flashing lights and you just immediately almost start, start to sweat. Not because you, you know you're going to get picked up, but you look at your speed. Right? And then you say, did I miss something? Did I just drive through something? Anyone ever been there? Do, do you know why? Because God has put within us, seriously, a fear of authority, which is good and is right. There are people we should be afraid of. Authorities. Yes. 
Because fear, proper fear, keeps us from doing wrong. By the way, it's the same term used when we talk about the fear of God. There is an aspect in which we should be afraid of God. Afraid of doing something that would bring his wrath. So we're supposed to give tribute. We're supposed to pay the levies that they might have. Taxes, levies. We're supposed to pay fear if it's due. And then the last part is honor, to hold people in high esteem. Um, I wish our senators would understand that with our president. It's an embarrassment today. The utter disrespect. Now, um, the, the man has swore at times, but he is the president of the United States, and he deserves um, due respect for the position that he holds irregardless of the way he may act or some of the things he may say. He is the president. And by the way, we need to remember that too. Honor. To whom honor is due. Um, we shouldn't be talking back to police and other authorities. We shouldn't be disobeying. We should be following. See, Render to Caesar things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God's. And by the way, these things that we're saying are Caesar's are what God tells us are Caesar's. Right? So, so both are true. All right, let me give you the reasons why in this passage. All right, first is because it's God's command. Um, you see, the powers that be are ordained of God. He's placed them there. Uh, second reason, this is an amazing thing. Uh, look at the end of verse 2 and look at verse 4 and tell me what is the second reason. Not just because it's God's command, because God placed them in authority and, and since he has, you better obey what God has put there. But there's another reason why. It starts with C. I got to have some alliteration, right? Anyone? Now that I told you it starts to see, you don't know what it is. What? Okay, condemnation. I put it this, consequences. Consequences. Yeah. You speed, you get a ticket. Don't complain. You're speeding. Oh, I was only going three miles an hour and the guy was going eight miles an hour over the speed limit. Don't complain. You're going over. Pay it. Well, that guy behind me, he, he went through a red light too. Doesn't matter. You went through it. Pay it. Stop belly aching. Don't complain. Consequences. All right, they come when you, when you go. So it's God's command. The consequences. And there's another reason. Verse 5. <laughs> it is alliterated. It's right there for you. Your own conscience. This is what this is what I said. You know, when you when the, you see the flashing lights, you're not doing anything wrong. But all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> um, conscience. God put within us a conscience that says these are authorities. Follow. All right. So let me get to the conclusion. And my, I wish I could give you more on this, but whenever possible, I'm. 
do what I'm told by government unless to do so require that I disobey a clear command of God because God's given them to me. So only I know I have to disobey a clear command of God. Does God give me the right to say, all right, no longer can I do that? And by the way, the Bible is so clear. There are so many examples of clear commands. No one is supposed to bow down to any idol. That's why the Hebrew children said we can't do it. So they were right. Dan, don't pray. Well, what does God say about prayer? Morning, noon, and night. Well, I left up my voice. The psalmist wrote about that. So Daniel didn't have a choice. And by the way, none of these people did it defiantly saying, holding their sign, we will not pray, you know, this way. They just did what was right. Peter and the apostles were told not to witness. What do you do? Like the pastor in Nepal. You gotta witness. What if you get thrown in jail? You gotta witness. So whenever possible, I'm to do what I'm told by government, unless to do so would require that I must disobey a clear command of God. It needs to be a clear command of God. Even when they are wrong, I'm to go above what is reasonable and right to obey. Let me give you a great example of that. Oh, man. How did I end up going long? Okay. Um, Matthew 17. Don't, don't answer that. Matthew 17, 26 and 27. Jesus, Peter comes to Jesus and says, they're asking for, for um, tribute. And Jesus didn't have any responsibility to pay taxes because he was born of. He, he, they're, they're, the Roman government, the, the leaders who were asking for tribute had no right to ask for the money. But Jesus told Peter, so they're not offended, to do what? Go fishing. First fish he catches, you'll find a coin in the mouth, you pay it. Those guys must have loved it when Peter pulls a coin out of a fish's mouth and puts it in their hand. That must have been wonderful. That must have been great. Uh, you see that happening. All right. But he says, so you don't offend him. So you know what Jesus did? He went beyond. Hey, I, he, didn't have, he didn't have to pay that. He wasn't obligated to pay it, but he paid it. In other words, he said, as long as I can do this without disobeying God, and there was nothing that would have required disobedience to God, then he was going to do it, even if it wasn't what he had to do. He seems to really give us a great pattern for what we're supposed to do whenever we're not asked to disobey God. So, so look, the, the, the government is asking us to do, uh, you know, some, some crazy things that are above and beyond. All right, just do it. In fact, Christ said, if they ask you to walk a mile, remember soldiers could come and ask Roman people to carry their, their stuff. If they ask you to carry it for a mile, what, was it, what did he tell them? That's right, because in doing so, he wouldn't have to disobey anything that God had said. So go above and beyond. Do everything you possibly can do to make him happy. That's the attitude God gives us. And uh, 
and and it's sad, but you, there are a lot of Christians who use civil disobedience and they support it from the Bible and they can't. They can't. They misuse the Bible. The Bible really is clear, and Jesus Christ made it clear. Render to Caesar things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God's. And I hope that it will uh, just help guide us as a church, as a people, and um, and guide all of us just in how we're going to act towards the authority God's given us. Because he's given us a great land to live in, a great place to live. And, um, and un unlike a lot of people that seem to hate America, and I can't understand why they stay here, um, you know, I, I love living here. I, I think it's the greatest place in the world to be. And, um, and I want to be pleasing to God while I'm here. And may we all, in regard to our government. Father, thank you for the freedoms we enjoy. Thank you for America. And I, I pray for our country and um, help us to do our part as we were challenged on Sunday morning. And may we uh, be a, a positive influence toward righteousness in this land. But more so, Lord, may we be, um, may we be acting toward the government as we ought and pleasing to you in our responses to the authorities that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.